Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Sarah Miskelly. And Sarah entered real estate at the age of 24, where she was able to sell over $55 million and earn the title of top agent under 30 for three consecutive years while building her own real estate portfolio across Canada, the US, and Belize. And after the birth of her two kids, she shifted her focus to real estate investing full-time. And now she helps ambitious women in business generate passive cash flow and build wealth through apartment investing. So Sarah, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here. Yeah, super happy to be here. It's always nice to talk to another lady in the industry. (laughs) Yes, there are not too many of us, but when we do meet each other, it's a really nice surprise and it's really good to see other women crushing it in real estate. So thank you so much for being here today. For sure. So Sarah, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah. So I always like to say I grew up in it. When I was a kid, my dad was the classic immigrant story. He came from Croatia to Canada with nothing and he started to acquire small multifamily assets. So when I was a kid, I helped him clean apartments before tenants moved in. I shoveled snow. He wouldn't let me watch TV. He was always putting me to work, which when I was a kid, I hated it, but I really appreciated the work ethic and what it created for me. And because I was always surrounded by real estate, it really gave me, I would say, a bit of an advantage. So then I went into real estate sales, like you mentioned. And from there, I've just continued to build my portfolio and invest actively and passively in real estate. As you were growing up in real estate and your dad had you help turning the apartments and working on those units, did that ever deter you away from wanting to get into real estate later in life as a career? I think it didn't deter me simply because the other side of it is we'd spend the summer in Croatia lying on the beach. So he was work really, really hard and then play hard in the sense. So I got to see what was possible by owning real estate where, yes, there's effort and time, but then you get that passive cash flow and you're able to go on a two month vacation, which I don't think you can always do in a traditional role. So you started off with selling real estate and then that was all within the Canada region. Yeah. So I was in Toronto. So Toronto is a very hot market. If people don't know Toronto, Canada, crazy real estate market, high appreciating market. Last couple of years, things have slowed down everywhere. But it was during the time that I was in the industry, it was very, very high income potential and also a big hustle, let's just say. (laughs) So did you start to invest in your own portfolio and start to build that out? And then did it start within Canada and Toronto area? Yeah. So I was simultaneously while I was building up my income through the commissions, because I was earning a lot of money as a realtor, I ensured that a portion of every commission check I put towards investing. So some of that went into properties in Toronto. It was also investing passively in some private lending, as well as syndication type deals. So I kind of spread myself into different asset classes, I would say, under the umbrella of real estate itself. And it was a slow build. Yes, during my time of my career, up until I kind of stopped trading real estate when I had kids. A lot of times you hear like real estate agents, when they are selling real estate, sometimes they don't necessarily invest in real estate themselves. They do sell it, but sometimes you don't really hear that real estate investor or real estate agents are invest in real estate investments. For you, what made you shift that focus also and to realize the what you could do with investing in actual real estate? And then how did you break out into your network and find all these different opportunities? 
Yeah. So I think it's true. Like a lot of realtors I worked with didn't invest. So I think it was a huge value add for my clients because they understood that I actually knew what I was talking about when it came to what type of properties to purchase and all of that. But I'd say in terms of finding different deals, like a lot of things are networking and relationships, right? Especially once you get into the bigger asset classes, like a lot of the syndications, for example, that is based all on relationships. These are private deals. So a lot of the higher earning deals are going to be private. They're not going to be listed on MLS, which is multiple listing service where you could buy a house. I think there's Zillow. There's all those different sites. But a lot of it was just relationship building and then finding people that I felt like I could trust to work with because, you know, at some level you are handing over money. Uh, so I've gone through that now on both sides of the spectrum, both being an investor and then also having other people invest with me in my syndication deals. So then at what point for you, Sarah, I think you mentioned like you had your two kids and then was that the turning point where you decided to go into investing full time and then shift your focus from actually selling real estate? Yeah. So I'd say becoming a mom changed a lot. Kind of cliche. <laughs> And everybody would have told me before it happened, they're like, oh yeah, it changes everything. I'm like, yeah, damn well it does change everything. <laughs> but like the biggest thing was just when I was family planning, I was looking at my life and I was hustling really, really hard as a realtor. You know, I'd get up at 5 a.m. I'd work till 10 p.m., seven days a week, a lot of the time. Sometimes I wouldn't eat. I'd be like, oh, should I eat lunch or should I lead generate? I'd actually have that question quite regularly come up. And I just looked at my lifestyle and I was like, wow, if I'm gonna have kids, this doesn't work, right? Like why have a family if I don't even spend time with them? So I think that was a huge huge monumental shift. But the big thing that comes with that is when you're in an entrepreneurial role, like being a realtor, there is no pension. There is no income if you're not actually grinding it out. So I was had the fortune of being able to see that there was another option. And that is the passive income that was being generated by my real estate assets and the various deals I was in. And it just was like, hey, let's look at the reality of things. Do I want to keep hustling and burning myself out for money? Or do I want to go 10x and continue investing and growing that portfolio? That was the defining decision was my kids, but it was also very clear writing on the wall wise what the potentials were. It's easier when you're operating just by yourself without having to think about other people or care for other people because you can just, you can have those questions like, oh, can I continue doing my lead generation or do I need to eat? But once you have the kids, it's like, oh, well, they do need to eat. They need to be taken care of. So then you yeah. have to kind of adjust the lifestyle and you want to be there for those milestones to be there for those kids because it's not all the time that they're at this age and you're able to make those same types of memories with them. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It sums it up really well. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me also, my mindset shifted into more of the passive real estate investing also once I had my kid also because the time aspect of it and how quickly time goes by or like when you're with them, it changes your perspective on outlook and what you really want in life and how you want to pursue it and live your life going forward. Yeah, for sure. I would say to add to that, like I was on the trajectory to build a million dollar business. Like I knew how to do it. I knew what it would take. I knew that that was the path, build a team and all that. And I was just like, but do I want to manage a bunch of agents? Do I want to have to not be around my kids? And so, yeah, it does change. It's like, it's not always, I think we all want money. We all want to make money, but having kids really shifted my perspective as to like, well, what's really important, right? My kids aren't going to love me when there's another dollar at the end of, <laughs> end of my net worth, right? When you focused and you shifted into real estate investing full-time, did you go straight into the syndications and apartments? Or you also mentioned you did some private lending as well. Did you focus on one particular asset class or did you spread it out across multiple? 
Yeah. So I think because I've had kind of a lifetime of being in real estate, I mean, I'm 34, which sounds when I say a lifetime, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but I did grow up in it since I was a kid. So I've kind of seen different asset classes. I've seen different potentials. I've seen people owning like urban condos. I've seen private lending. I've seen kind of the multifamily, the small multifamilies. So for me, just going through those stages, I said, well, okay, where are the bigger profits? Where are the bigger asset classes? And that's where I was like, well, why not go to apartment buildings? Right. So that's kind of what I shifted into naturally. And there are a lot of good returns in the commercial real estate space. And it's not as present for people when they're not in this space. They don't really know what's possible because they don't know the right people to get into it. So at this season of life and investing, I am heavily focused in the syndication space. So I'll bring other investors on into deals that we have. And then as well, I'll be investing as a limited partner in some of the deals if they're attractive to me. So I kind of balance out doing that just so I can spend more time with my kids in addition to managing some of my smaller assets that are kind of easier to manage at this point in time. And then also supplementing it by private lending just for some more like quick cash flow. When did you decide to branch out into the US and Belize and start building out your portfolio internationally outside of Toronto? Yeah. So the biggest thing was when you look at the Toronto market, and I think it doesn't matter that it's Toronto, you could say New York, Chicago, a lot of these major urban centers, there's just not cash flow, right? You can't cash flow anymore now with interest rates having gone up. You know, a lot of the value for investors is not there anymore. Even if you're in a highly appreciating market like Toronto, we were banking on appreciation. A lot of these investors were buying properties and paying $500 of their own capital every month because it's not cash flowing, but they're banking on it going up 20, 30%. Cause when I was a realtor, things were going up 20, 30% a year in terms of appreciation. But I just saw the writing on the wall that there's not as much opportunity in an urban center like Toronto anymore. And when you look at some of these US cities, I think the US just has more opportunity than Canada in general in terms of scope and size. And you just see that there are markets that still have that potential for cash flow, a lot more lenient tenancy regulations. We're very strictly regulated in Canada. So I just looked at, okay, what are the other places that have the opportunities for me to still profit and help my investors and my network profit from real estate, which is still secure and stable as an investment class? Within the US market, how did you determine which markets to focus on? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is aligning myself with people who are experts in certain markets. So I definitely found the right kind of sponsorship teams that I believed uh, had a good track record. Well, the track record was actually very clear to me. I now work with a team that's been in the business for 25 years. They've gone full cycle on about 120 deals. So I looked at where they're investing. And then if you want to just look at demographics, you're looking for cities with a lot of job growth, employment, that's always a very attractive benchmark. So it's just kind of finding those cities where the data is demonstrating that it's a good market to move into. And then also building those relationships and seeing where the big players are going and aligning yourself with them. When you transitioned and you wanted to get into the US market, how did you start building up those relationships internationally? Yeah. So I think it takes a lot of research from the get-go and it's really looking at who they recommend. I went on bigger pockets forums. I was looking at, okay, well, who are the big players in the U.S. multifamily space? I started listening to a lot of podcasts like we're doing right now. I went to podcast university and I started to whittle down kind of the, the sponsorship teams and the people that seemed like they were in alignment with my investment thesis, as well as kind of my character who had good integrity. I think at the end of the day in this industry, it is very relationship-based. You're going to want to find people that you feel like you'd want to work with long-term and speak the same language as you in some sense. So I think it was a lot of due diligence up front and then making those connections and introductions and seeing at some level, trusting myself that these are the right people to work with moving forward. So your investors in Canada, was it difficult to share and to educate them about the U.S. markets? 
So I think there's a lot of Canadians right now that want to be in the U.S. So I think there is already that interest because of the kind of things I mentioned about Toronto being cost prohibitive at this point. So I'll go back to that. To get a one-bedroom condo in Toronto right now is like $800,000. Like it's just, the opportunities are not here. So I was actually in an event the other night and there was about 700 young people. So I'm saying like early 20s and it was all about investing in Florida. 700 people. Everybody wants to go invest in Florida. So the intention is already there. And now what happens with my network and my investors is the education process of what is this indication? What are the benefits of getting into these deals in the States? So I think the interest is there. It's just now finding that educational process to get them involved and to understand and feel confident shifting into the U.S. market and seeing if that's actually a viable option for them in, in their investment thesis. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. What's the biggest difference with investing in Canada versus the U.S.? So, I mean, just the U.S. has more opportunity, but I'd say there is still a lot of the same kind of structures in Canada. So we're not talking a different language. A lot of the things are the same. There are multifamily assets here. There's syndications. There's private lending. It all exists here. It's just the scope and size of opportunity of cash flowing markets is bigger in the States. That's it. How about Belize? Let's change it a little bit and talk about Belize because that's a beautiful place out over there. Why did you decide to get into Belize? I know a lot of people have started to invest in it. It's a little beachfront island that not a lot of people know about, but it's starting to come up more and more popular in the real estate industry. Yeah, for sure. So there's a lot of people that are looking for investing outside of America or Canada. A lot of that is because we're becoming more remote, right? So there's a lot of opportunity for people to work in different jurisdictions and also visit it and kind of make that work-life balance a little bit further. So I just, same thing, networking, found some connections. They were developing a resort in Belize. So I got integrated with that. It seemed like an attractive project and I invested in it. So I think it's once again, networking, but as well, Belize specifically is, it's USD. They trade in USD. They speak English. So there's already that kind of connection piece there where it became a little bit more of an easier entry point when you feel like people there are speaking your language, they're trading the same dollar as you. So that was kind of where I branched out. So I'm always looking for new opportunities and places to invest if the opportunity presents itself and seems like a viable option. Can you put into perspective a little bit about what are some of the things that you can purchase in Belize versus Toronto versus the U.S.? Yeah, so I think of it is more of a vacation type rental. So you're going to see a lot of those higher, like an Airbnb style type of uh, property, right? You're going to see a much higher cash flow nightly. People are willing to pay a much higher amount to be beachfront, right? So I think that's also, that's very, very attractive. But then the prices of the actual assets are not as significantly higher as the cash flow that you can obtain. So that's a part of it. And then as well, it's, it's the place that you want to visit. If you want to go visit, then as well, if you own a property there, you can also use it as a part of your investment portfolio to go stay there if you want to. So Sarah, what is your next focus? 
Yeah. So the biggest thing for me right now is getting more women involved in investing in multifamily syndications. I think that when I go into conferences and you may have this experience, there's a lot of old white men, no knocking to them, but this is kind of a sector that I think is ripe for some disruption. I think a lot of women are unfamiliar with this type of model and the way that things are moving is look, all of us were pushed to go into professional careers, get a degree, work on our computer, work in an office. A lot less people are handy. And when you look at syndication models, there's opportunity for people to focus on their career, focus on their family, and also profit off real estate and feel that security and diversify their portfolio. So for me right now, my focus is bringing this to more women and I'm 10x going to go in on that. So that's currently what my platform is and that's my mission. What are some of the ways that you're looking to bring in women into your network? Yes, I think the biggest thing right now is we all know social media is extremely powerful. That's, I think, going to be the way that just naturally we know we have to do it. Even if we don't want to be posting all the time or going on a podcast, this is just the way the future is going to go. It's that one-to-many model. So right now, that's really my focus in building a community of women, having them also network. I think the biggest thing that a lot of us learned over COVID is we want those connections. We want to have like-minded people in our network. And I think when you are grow up in a certain community or you have friends that you've always had conversations with, it's looking for people that you can have conversations with at a more elevated level. So I'm really looking to create that community for women where they can talk straight about investing, like men talk on a golf course, (laughs) where we don't really necessarily have to wear pink or talk, do yoga. I'm like, you want to talk business? Let's talk business. Let's talk about making money. Let's see how we can build our wealth and essentially create a better future for our families. So I think that's a big one, as well as looking to for more speaking opportunities at conferences or at women's investment groups. That's kind of my focus is right now. So for you, Sarah, how has real estate investing impacted your life and how has it allowed you to integrate it into what you've tried to accomplish within your business and then within your family life as well? So I think the biggest things is like when I took time off with my kids, I gave up a 400K a year income. I gave up my business, right? And that's a challenging decision for a woman to make, to be honest, right? I'm very ambitious. I like working. I like making money. And to give that up, I was like, well, the only reason I'm going to give that up is because I have assets that are providing me cash flow. And I think that this is really important, especially for women to see that there are ways for them to create multiple income streams, leveraging real estate. So I think that is really what I'm looking at right now is one of my critical focuses and missions. Do you think it's difficult and challenging for women to break into this space because it's so heavily male-oriented? I would say no, it's all mental. And also like in the sense that there's no man standing there with a roadblock saying, oh, you can't invest here. No, money's green. You can invest your money. People want money. They want you to invest it. It helps the asset. You make money as well. I think the biggest barrier for women right now is having other women that they can trust and also feeling like they can have a conversation that there's no intimidation factor. It can be straight. Things can be explained in a very simple manner. There's a very different way that men and women talk about money, that talk about investing. I find men overcomplicated, to be honest. And I think women are fully welcome into these spaces. They just don't have the confidence necessarily to step in. They don't know the right people to get into them. But once you're in, you're in. It's not a big deal. So Sarah, what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I think it's what I'm trying to share with women. I didn't know about the syndication model in the States. I didn't know about all these opportunities in the States. And I think it was a really big blessing for me to be able to spend more time in the US. So that really opened the doors to seeing these opportunities. 
And I think that is something I wish I knew sooner because the returns are quite attractive. And I think that for more women to get involved into these deals and not be scared off by them or not understand them. We all say, I wish I knew 10 years ago, I'd be like so much richer. (laughs) But that's kind of it. I just wish more people knew about the syndication model specifically. And if there was one thing that you would recommend or you would suggest people do in order to get started in or get their foot in the door, just getting started in the space, what would that be? Education. That's it. There's going to be a big education process at the beginning. And I think it's better to get started with it sooner rather than later. You don't have to feel like, wow, I have to invest tomorrow, but at least start understanding the terminology. Like Getting into a new world, it's all based on language. Language is what's going to help you get into whether it's a new job or a new relationship. You have to kind of be speaking the same language. So once you can start to understand the terminology in the syndication space, understand how the returns work, understand where your money's going, how it's being utilized, I think that's critical. And I think that's why when people come into my ecosystem of wanting to invest in my deals, I make sure that it's always at the beginning started with an investment process and making sure that I'm available to them to ask those quote unquote stupid questions, which is people always call it, but no question is stupid when you're learning something new. What are you doing now to look and evaluate different opportunities and investment coming up forward, especially because there's so much talk about interest rates, recession and things like that. And real estate is people are saying it's volatile. They're nervous about getting into this space. What are some of the ways that you're looking at investing and hedging against some of those and mitigating some of those risks out there? I think one of the biggest misconceptions is people in the media are lumping all of real estate together. We have to be really clear that there's very different sectors of real estate. What's happening in the retail sector is different from what's happening in offices. It's different than what's happening in industrial. It's different than what's happening in residential and multifamily. So first and foremost, you need to be able to distinguish between those different pillars within real estate. Um, Speaking on multifamily specifically, look like, yes, things got a little bit crazy with the Fed's raising interest rates. We all know this. This is not new news. There's also a lot of media hype about one big deal in Houston that people seem to like not be able to stop talking about having it gone default. But when you look at a lot of the sponsorship teams in the industry, they have a lot of integrity. They're being very careful with their due diligence. Their underwriting is being done in a very diligent manner. So when I'm working with sponsorship teams and my partners, we're doing very, very in-depth due diligence and underwriting, and as well, making sure that the markets we're going into do have the kind of job growth that supports value adding a property. And then just right now, I'm seeing a lot of the deals. What's happening is loan assumptions. So people are trying to find deals where there's a loan assumption. We have a deal in Atlanta right now that it was loan assumption as well as an off-market deal. So there's always opportunities available. It's just maybe doing a little bit more legwork upfront to ensure that you're protecting investors' capital. I think that everybody has gone through in the last couple of years seeing what can happen when things are done a little bit willy-nilly. And I find that everybody I'm working with is doubling down to make sure that they're being much more detailed to ensure that things are done properly. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? That's a great question. I would say that you really want to be like ambitious and move forward. I think this is in any sector, like don't get knocked down by fear or don't get stopped by feeling like you can't enter a specific room. Like if I was talking to women, like you were mentioning, no, don't feel like you can't be in that room with other people. I think like anything in life and same with real estate is you have to work hard. And I know people like say, oh, you got to work smart. But you know, at some level when you're getting started, you got to work hard, you got to hustle, you got to grind. But I think just always betting on yourself as well is super critical and believing in yourself and trusting the process. I would say that this is going to get you ahead in anything, not just real estate. And so Sarah, 
Where can I listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? So you can visit my website, highlycapital.com. I'm also on very active on LinkedIn. And I'm also going to be hosting a virtual summit on September 21st and 22nd, the Passive Real Estate Summit. So you can find out more about that, passiverealestatewealth.com. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for all of your time today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.